truly a pleasure. It's truly a pleasure to be here with you at Christchurch Highland Park today. I praise God for the opportunity to share with you and join with you in worship. Could you imagine having your property confiscated as a Christian? Could you imagine having to physically suffer abuse for your faith in Christ? Well, many people throughout the world have to deal with this living reality. They have to deal with literally suffering physically, social rejection, mental anguish. And this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Christians who have to literally suffer for their faith, but suffer in a way that's unique. I was reading an article in Christianity Today this week, and it was talking about some Christians who, have, who are in house churches in China. And it talked about the fact that some of, their, some of them were having their possessions taken from them. Some of them were placed in camps because they were leaders of house churches. And we're, they're, they're, they're literally facing suffering in a way that's unique and different than what we experience here in the United States. And it was very challenging. How do you think you would respond if you, had, if you were beaten up because of your faith? How do you think you would react if your family members were threatened physically, if your children were socially excluded because of their faith in Christ? Do you think that you could possibly entertain the idea of maybe being a little bit less open with your faith? Do you think that to a certain extent you may back away from some of the things you know you should be doing? Do you think that you would consider giving up? Would you blame anyone who did? Well, this is the context of our passage today in Hebrews. You see, Hebrews is a book that emphasizes Christ as the Son of God and the great high priest. But in chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, there's a situation that unfolds in which some Christians in a house church were being persecuted for their faith. Some of their possessions were being taken from them. And some of them were suffering physical harm. Some of them even faced death, something that we we never face here in the United States. And so they came to a point where they had a crisis in their faith. Should you persevere? Should you go on? Now, our passage in chapter 12 is the climax of the whole book. It is here that the author of Hebrews is challenging the the Christians there to avoid apostasy, to avoid turning away from the faith, to avoid giving up. Let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 again. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not get weary and you will not lose heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to understand and apply your word today. Amen. As Jesus endured the cross, we should endure in faith. As Jesus endured the cross, we should endure in faith. 
If you don't remember anything else that I say today, I want you to remember this. As Jesus endured the cross, we should endure in faith. Hebrews suggests three things that we should endure in and three ways that we should consider this passage. It urges us to endure in Christian faith. Firstly, it urges us in verse 1 that we should run with endurance. Let's run with endurance. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance or endurance the race marked out for us. By way of metaphor, the writer exhorts us all to endure in the Christian faith with a single-minded focus towards running our Christian race. Notice that the author begins the sentence with a therefore. Now, this is a sure sign that he is summing up what he uh, talked about in verses uh, in chapter 11, and he's coming to a point where he's going to give us something very important. Therefore, so we should listen closely to what he's going to say next. He says, let us to promote positive communal action. The writer includes himself in his exhortation. Let us all do this particular action. He gives us imagery. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Well, who are these witnesses? These witnesses are the heroes of the faith that he's already shared about in chapter 11. These witnesses are, 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 are Moses and Aaron, David, Solomon. So he's saying, let us, because we're surrounded by such, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us move towards positive action. Now, in classical literature, a cloud is often, often symbolism for a crowd. So these are a crowd of people. And the noun for martyr is used here, also means spectator. So this, this kind of gives you um, athletic imagery as, of those in a stadium. In fact, how many of you have ever been in a stadium, athletic stadium? Football, basketball? You ever heard of the 12th man? This is the imagery that he's given us here. When you're in a stadium, you're in the crowd, you're part of the crowd, and you're cheering on your team, you know, the Bears, the Bulls. You're cheering on your team. And often, people think of the crowd as a passive, uh, particular, uh, a passive group, but actually the crowd is quite active because the 12th man affects the field. The 12th man affects the, the athletes who are playing football. In fact, when you're cheering on, often the players are getting energized and they're getting really excited because of your participation, because of your encouraging them on. Well, this is the idea that's given here. The crowd of witnesses are your 12th man. They're cheering you on in your competition and faith. They're cheering you on to reach the goal that God has called you for there is a dramatic effect on you because of the 12th man. And this is exactly what's being communicated here. But the crowd, they're more than witnesses and spectators. Many of them in chapter 11 were also martyrs. In fact, it says that uh, some of them were sawn in two. Now, these men and women faithfully endured to the very end. And, they, and by, by their endurance... They are our examples. So the role, their role are witnesses, their role are spectators, and their role are also martyrs. 
but we are called to be active participants. He is calling us, the writer of Hebrews is calling us now to be participants, to be athletes. We are told to throw off everything that hinders. Now, if, we're, if we want to run, we need to run without things that are, are slowing us down or limiting us. What hinders Christians more than anything else? And the answer is given in the second part of verse 2. Verse 1, sorry. The answer is sin. Jogging. Now, a lot of us participate in jogging throughout the summer and the winter. Now, the good thing about jogging, particularly in the summer, is you're able to not wear that much. You wear a T-shirt, shorts, sneakers. But when you're jogging into winter, often you have to wear different layers of clothing. Even the most aerodynamic, athletic layers of clothing slow you down. So if you're timing yourself, you're generally not as fast in the winter as you are in the summer. You also throw in the factor of, of the, the um, elements, snow, sleet. These things slow you down. They bog you down. The easily entangling sin that we're called to take off slows us down in our Christian ways. This is what sin does to us. So we are to take off the easily entangling sin and run as if we are in the summer, to run freely, to run well. Now, to emphasize running, the writer uses a verb, trachoman, that literally means let us run. But the focus is not just on the running itself. The focus is also on completing the race. Let us run as to complete the Christian race. It holds the same idea of a trek. Let us to continue to keep on running so as to finish. So we are not only urged to run as Christians, but we are told how to run. We are to run with endurance or perseverance. Running with endurance is paralleled to faith. So we need more than just enduring faith. Faith as Christians, we need enduring faith. We need a faith that will last the test of time, temptation, trial. We need a faith that will be there not only at the beginning, but at the end. I remember I used to run track in high school, and my event was the 400. And one year, I actually won first place in state doing the 400. And earlier in that year, I remember watching you know, uh, guys who run the mile. You know, I'm, I'm a sprinter, so when sprinters watch people do the mile, they usually think one thing. Man, those guys are slow. <laughs> I can beat those guys. I mean, look, wow. So I remember one day, I'm, I'm there, you know, we're, we're watching our, the guys run the mile, and all of us sprinters, 100, 200, 400, we're all like, you know, these guys. So I basically said uh, to my coach, coach, you should let me run the mile. I could cream these guys. And I remember one time in particular, we had an injury on our team. And the coach said, Kahim, you're up. You're, you know, you're doing it. You're running a mile. And I remember starting the race, and in the middle of the race, I realized something. Usually, I have a feeling of, um, I'm kind of, usually I'm, I'm passing other people, you know, and, and they either they're starting to get, I'm coming back like this, or they're beside me, but it was really weird. After a couple of laps going around, I, I noticed that people were passing me, and they were getting further and further ahead, and smaller and smaller, and I learned something that day. I learned that running with endurance is not the same thing as running fast. Uh, the dash versus the marathon. 
The 40-meter dash emphasizes speed and power. The marathon emphasizes perseverance and endurance. Our Christian race of faith is not like a dash. It's like a marathon. We are called to persevere till the end. Not just run fast now. We are to run the race set before us. The term for race here is actually associated with athletic imagery in the context of martyrdom, literally. So we are called to keep on running the race, enduring to the, path, to, to the point, not only past exhaustion, but even unto our very death, if called for. This is what many of the great heroes of the faith of old in chapter 11 did. They endured to the point of death. But they didn't die in vain. This part of the verse is in the passive, which indicates that the race was marked out for us by someone else. If we look at chapter 11, verse 40, it says, God had planned something better for us, and for what purpose? So that only together with us would the heroes of old be made perfect. It is our God who has marked out the race for us. So God has enabled us to finish. This is supposed to be in a word of encouragement. God is in support of us. I've worked as an occupational therapist for several years. And most of, most of my clientele are in the geriatric population. Now, often, as patients... Uh, uh, have elective surgeries and they're making progress in their rehab, we begin to be more aggressive with the therapy. So oftentimes we'll give them obstacle courses that they have to endure to prepare them for home. Now, unlike what most of our clients think, we therapists do not get paid to torture old people. Um, But we do it for their good. How much more does our God prepare us all so that we will endure to the end. So what does verse 1 actually mean for us? In order for us to run the race well, God has marked out for us, we must take sin off. We must put aside, lay aside sin, especially our easily entangling, distracting sins. The sins that we always get bogged down in. But to do this, we must first identify them. I want us all to take a moment. I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads, and reflect a prayer. Right now, I want you to ask God, what easily entangling, distracting sins are hampering my progress as a Christian? Preoccupation with financial security, pornography, sexual immorality, autonomy, independence, lack of forgiveness. Take a moment. What easily entangling sins? Amen. Now feel free to open your eyes. But I want you to pray this prayer again later on tonight. As Jesus endured the cross, we should endure in faith. As Jesus endured the cross, we should endure in faith. Hebrews makes a second point. Jesus endured the cross. Verse 2. 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is factual information. The writer uses our, bases our ability to endure on a real historical event, the crucifixion. Jesus is our prime example since he endured the cross and was honored by God for his endurance. We are to fix our eyes onto Jesus. The verb used here emphasizes continuous, uh, the, the continuous nature of this fixing. We are to continually gaze at Jesus, always look at Jesus, constantly stare at Jesus. But why? Jesus is the God-man who suffered, died, and was resurrected. Jesus is the perfect example for martyrs because he gave up his very life at the cross. Now, the NIV reads, Jesus is the author of our faith. Now, the word used here is translated other ways as well. Founder, leader, prince, champion. I prefer pioneer. Jesus did something that no one else ever did or ever will do again. And in doing it, he pioneered our faith. Jesus is the forerunner of all who are being brought to glory. Jesus has attained eternal life, our faith's ultimate goal. Eternal life, our end. Jesus is also the perfecter of our faith. He is intimately involved with the development of our faith. And he is the one who perfectly embodies faith. He's our model of faith. So now that we have identified what Jesus did and who Jesus is, let's turn to the why and how of Jesus' actions. Why did Jesus endure the cross? Now, verse 2 reports, for the joy set before him. Jesus did this loving act for joy, delight, for the sake of joy, not in the crucifixion itself, but in the result, to bring many daughters and sons to glory, our salvation. Now, how did Jesus endure the cross? Verse 2 reveals again, by scorning its shame. This may also be read as despising, but I prefer disregarding its shame. Christ endured the cross, which was no doubt painful, but it was also shameful. The Israelites considered anyone who was hung by a tree to be cursed by God. Do you see the irony in that? The Messiah cursed by God? Jesus thought little of the shame involved because of his joyful anticipation of you. His joyful anticipation and love for us drove him to the cross. Now, have you ever witnessed a birthing event, a child being brought into this world? For a woman, of course, it is no doubt painful, but it's also an event that really exposes a woman physically. She's quite vulnerable. Yet, when the baby is born, the room is filled with joy. She disregards the pain The shame involved looking forward to the joy of their child's arrival. Christ disregarded the pain and shame of the cross because of his great love for us. One practical way that we can monitor our progress, considering it joy, copying Christ's joy, monitoring our attitude as Christians, We should consider James 1. James says, consider it pure joy, 
my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. James uses the exact same word here that we see in Hebrews. Applying this spiritual principle to our lives may not seem logical, and often it doesn't seem logical, but God uses it for our spiritual benefit. Consider it joy when you endure sufferings and trials. This is what God is calling us for. Now, I challenge you this week. I challenge you to talk to a Christian who knows you very well. Spouse, family member, a friend. Ask them and give them the freedom to respond honestly. How do I respond? How do you respond? But how do I respond when I endure trials and sufferings? The scripture is calling us to do something that we should really try to work into our lives. Be prepared for the response. (laughs) And be prepared to grow. Verse 2 reveals Jesus as our pioneer, perfecter, and prime example. Because of what he did, why he did it, and how he did it. Now the last part of verse 2 reveals that Jesus is living and glorified. It tells us that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, Christ's present enthronement in heaven, living Messiah, is the basis for our assurance that we ourselves will finish the race. Our God is not a dead God. He's alive. And because he's alive, we will also share with him in eternal life. Christ's present enthronement in heaven beside God serving as our great high priest, serves as great encouragement for us today. As Jesus endured the cross, we should endure in faith. As Jesus endured the cross, we should endure in faith. Lastly, Hebrews encourages us to consider and copy Christ's endurance. Verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer commands you to carefully consider Christ's endurance. But don't stop there. He also does an implied command for you to copy Christ's endurance. Consider Jesus as a command, not a request. So we should consider exactly what is meant by to consider Jesus. The actual sense of the command is to consider for yourselves. It requires concentrated thought. You have to be an active participant in this process. The writer transitions from we language to you. He's speaking to you. Consider for yourselves what Christ has done. Meditate on what Jesus has done at the cross. This indicates the resistance that Jesus did required continual endurance. Jesus endured real hostility. It's not made up. It's not contrived. This is factual history. How he lived, how he died, how he lived again. All of this information is meant to inform our spiritual lives. Considering Christ should have an effect on how we live today. Jesus endured real hostility. The scriptures say that Jesus sweated blood because of his intense stress. 
that they put a crown of thorns on his head, that he was spat on, that they beat him, they mocked him, they nailed his hands and feet to a cross, yet he endured to the end. Scriptural meditation is a spiritual discipline that I think that we as evangelicals should participate in more and more. Spending time in a quiet room, maybe in the dark, seated, no distractions, and meditating on Christ, meditating on scriptural passages, meditating on what we say we believe, what we confess. I think we're too passive with this sometimes. We read things and we affirm them, and do we really think about them? And maybe when a non-Christian friend or family mentions some of these things where you know, we don't know how to respond, this is factual history. We should meditate on the things that we say we believe to ensure that we believe them. And spiritual meditation results in increased spiritual fervor and faith. He wants us to meditate on Christ so that we will, primarily because we ourselves will suffer hostilities today. Many true believers around the world in China, Africa, Middle East, they endure physical abuse and absolute social rejection in some places. True believers are expected to endure. In fact, endurance, perseverance, is the evidence of our faith. True believers will endure. So this is an encouraging word as well as a warning. The purpose of considering Jesus is in order that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The statement includes a strong negative that you may not grow weary, that you may not give up. So it can be taken progressively. That without considering Christ, without focusing on what Christ has done for you, eventually you will get tired and eventually you will give up. The result is spiritual exhaustion. So how does one know if they're considering Christ? How does one know if they're copying Christ? You will likely undergo some form of persecution. If you are considering Christ, you will likely undergo some form of persecution. Although many Christians worldwide endure physical abuse, persecution comes in many forms. And in the U.S., it often takes the form of psychological attack, social exclusion, emotional anguish. Family members may deride your faith. They may make fun of you when you're there or maybe when you're not there, but you hear about it. That's persecution for Christ. Some co-workers may exclude you at work. You may, not, you may de- be denied some of the benefits that other people enjoy because of your faith in Christ. That's persecution for Christ. Your neighbors may suggest that you're kind of a fanatic, you know, religious fanatic, you're weird, you know, believes in Jesus. That's persecution for Christ. How are you persecuted for your faith in Christ today? When was the last time you endured any persecution for your faith in Christ? How did you respond 
to the persecution? Did you shrink back? Did you endure? If you never, ever undergo any persecution for your faith, you should ask the question, ask the question why? You should ask that question because Jesus said in John 15, 20 to his disciples, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So you see, we are not all called to die as martyrs for Christ like that in China or Africa or India. But we are all called to die to ourselves for Christ. And the best way to die to ourselves and to live for Christ is through relationship with Christ and with the church. That's why we are here today. To help each other to endure, to encourage each other to endure in faith. One practical way that we can monitor our progress here is to build relationships that are, where people are being accountable to us and keeping us accountable. One practical way that we can challenge ourselves to progress in our Christian walk is to be honest. To have a two or three friends where we can be honest. We can say, hey, you know, I'm getting a lot of pressure at a job and a, man, I don't know what to do. Or, 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 hey, you know, my mom's really putting some pressure on me here and, you know, I don't know what to do with this decision. We need to live out and walk out our faith in Christ with each other, with other believers. It's impossible to do it by yourself. Ultimately, we don't run the Christian race alone, but we need each other and other Christians in small groups. We need each other and other Christians in accountability relationships to be intimately involved with our lives. As Jesus endured the cross, we should endure in faith. As Jesus endured the cross, we shall endure in faith. Today we interacted with three ways that Hebrews 12 has encouraged us to endure in faith. My hope is that you will all run your Christian race and that you will meet it to the very end. My hope is that on that day you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. As Jesus endured the cross, Let's endure. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help each and every one of us to run our race of faith with endurance, perseverance, so as to prove genuine our commitment to you. Even amid persecution, social rejection, even unto death, as you will, so that you may be glorified so that we may share in the sufferings of Christ, so that we may run to the end, and so that we will meet you in faith without fear. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you all to stand with us as we respond together to God's word.
to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord.